Thank you guys so much for, for having us. Um, we, it's our first time meeting you or being here on a Sunday face-to-face, but we absolutely love you already. And I, I know that might be a hard thing to understand, but we uh, have been in partnership with New Covenant Ministries for many years. Uh, we've been in relationship with this couple for a few years now, and we have watched their journey, um, and we are loving what God is doing with them and with this church, because for us, this is the only plan that God has left for the world. That's the church. There's, there's, there's no other plan. Uh, it's the A plan. And so look at your, your friend next to you and say, you're the A team. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you remember that show, The A-Team. It was, it was uh, B.A. Baracus, which was Mr. T and Face and Hannibal and all these guys. And, and, and if you remember, they, they were very eclectic, very different, <laughs> very quirky, uh, just a, 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 a wild bunch of dudes who God, want, or not God, but this, this show uh, wanted to use. But that's what God has done with, with this church. That's what God is doing with Restoration LA in East Los Angeles. It's, 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 it's a wild group of people who God has brought together to do something very significant in a city that God has a passion for. And there's something very different about city ministry. And you guys know this, you're here in Detroit. And, and it may seem because you guys are in the thick of it, it's hard sometimes to see the beauty. Vanessa and I are here and our, our hearts, as broken as they are for the loss in this city, our hearts are leaping with joy about the potential of what God is going to be doing in this place. That God has a plan for Detroit. Uh, and, and God's plan for Detroit is his church. And, and we can think it's going to take big bucks and it's going to take, you know, big, uh, and, and yes, it is going to take finances. It is going to take, but it is going to take a church. It's going to take a people who believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do through his people. And if you think about it, 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 nothing has changed over the thousands of years that God has left his church on the earth to, to complete his mission. The Bible talks about the 12 disciples, or which, who became the 12 apostles, and, or 11, you guys would know. Um, so listen, the, these 11 men, the Bible says, were unlearned, untrained, uneducated, ordinary men who Jesus took under his wing, loved them, taught them, did life with them, and then released them into the world to complete the mission that he started, this love mission of bringing people back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And those 12 men, some people say, turn the world upside down. I like to say they turn the world right side up, back to their Father. And if you think about it, it may seem in the early days of Border City Church like, man, this is, this is a big job. And, and the truth is, it is. It is a big job. But there's no other job that Jesus left us. And there's nothing else we should be wanting to do than complete the mission that Jesus has asked us to complete. Whether there's 20 of us, whether there's 50 of us, whether there's 100 of us. But listen, it's not just you. We are the church. You know, we're in this beautiful old building. I mean, this, this place is gorgeous as, as as run down and whatever, it, it, it is gorgeous. There, it's just, it, but here's the thing, this is a picture of what religion has left behind. And thank God for buildings, we all need buildings, but these buildings are not churches. We are the church. 
This, this institution was set up for higher learning, right? For higher spiritual learning to equip saints to be released. But listen, God never left a, 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 a seminary on, the, on this planet to equip saints for the works of ministry. He left the church. He, he, he left, he left uh, the, the Ephesians 4 giftings. He left pastors and elders and, and, and deacons to lead people into all that God had for them to be equipped for the works of what? Service. So who actually does the service? The saints do. So many times we, we just get caught up in, in, in hierarchical thinking. Well, it's the pastor's job and the elder's job and, and, and or... or you know, the deacon's job or the people who are really committed. And, and honestly, I, I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I believe there's different maturity levels in the church. And I believe, you know, today, as if, if you just accepted Jesus today, of course, there's an understanding that you are at a certain place of maturity with God. If you've been serving God for 20 years, there's an understanding that you are at a certain maturity with God. And there, there, there's grace for all of that because we're, we're in a different place with the Lord. But what I don't believe should be different is our commitment level. I believe day one, as immature as we can be, or, or, or day 20 year day, whatever, that, you guys get what I'm saying? That, that time, no matter where we are with God, that our commitment level is two feet in, Lord, I am going to dive completely into all that you have called me into. Uh, I'm going to share a couple of verses that I think just the Lord put on my heart while I got to see some of your faces. Um, I think I'm going to be in, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. And it says this, and this is what I believe for you, and I want this to wash over you, border city. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. How many of you, God has called you out of the darkness? I mean, God has absolutely called me out of the darkness. I won't get into all of my story, but there's probably nothing on this earth that I haven't been guilty of. I've been imprisoned, I've been in, in the depths of sin, addictions, anything you can think of. There's, God has pulled me out of complete darkness, and by his grace, uh, and, and by his grace of me being able to be obedient to the things he's called me to, I've, I, I've been able to see him do amazing things, not only with me and through me, but in, in, in the world around me. And this is what he has called us to, right? So that you, say me, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of the darkness into his, marvelous, into his marvelous light. And verse 10 says this, for once you were not a people. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it was like before God? Do you remember what it was like when you weren't? God's son, God's daughter. Do you remember what it felt like to be separated from God? I mean, it was the most desperate place in my life to be separated from God. Once you were not God's people and had, uh, and listen, and you, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How many of you are thankful for God's mercy? I mean, the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning, and I'm thankful for that. Because I, I know today I, I, I need the mercies of the Lord. Tomorrow 
I'm going to need the mercies of the Lord. But listen, we aren't the only people that need that. This, this city, the, the, every person that you come in contact with on a daily basis, they are desperate for the mercies of the Lord. And you and I are these, are these, are these mercy bearers uh, able to, to pass that on uh, to them. I'm not even preaching yet, but here we go. Um, so listen, h- how exactly did we receive those mercies? And listen, Romans 8 says this. It says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So all of us who are being led by the Holy Spirit, we know that if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you are a son of God, a child of God, a daughter of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, praise the Lord, you have not received a spirit of slavery um, to fear again. We, we sung against that fear this morning. And I don't know about you, but I remember one of my biggest fears of coming to God was he was going to make me do stuff. I don't want to come to God. He, they're just, I'm going to have to carry around a 20-pound Bible and you know, start speaking in the King James language. And, like, I, I, w- I was so afraid of coming to God. And here's the thing, because I knew within my spirit that God had more for me. And more always requires sacrifice. More always requires suffering. And that thing gripped me with fear. And I'm telling you, Border City, we have to come against those fears and say, I'm going to count for God. And just think about the things that we aren't afraid of. I mean, this is Detroit. I mean, you are a gritty people. I, I, I'm from East Los. There, there's not much we're afraid of. I'm not kidding. I, I'm, I'm, we just grew up on the streets. Growing up on the streets, it was common. You got in fights. You got shot at. There was things that take. There's not much that I'm afraid of. I mean, you can ask my wife. I, I'm, I'm, there's not much. And there's another thing, I served, in the, I served in the U.S. Marine Corps, so there's a whole lot of things that I, I don't get afraid of. But gosh, doing things for God? I mean, I'd be, I'm not kidding. I would be willing to walk into a room and fight a, a group of guys. Like, I'm, I'm not a tough guy, I'm not. But that, that's just part of who I am. But go into a room and speak to them about Jesus? And somehow we come to cower with fear over the things of God. And listen, it says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you to fear again. God's not calling you into slavery. He's not calling you into bondage. He's not calling you, enlisting you into this beautiful thing called the church to to put you in shackles again. But you have received, listen to this, friends, a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And I don't know if you guys know too much about adoption, but Vanessa and I uh, learned so much about adoption when we adopted our, our two babies. We, we've adopted two children. So we have five now. 20, 19, 17, 8, and 5. And so um, Judah, we, we, um, we got when he was three, and Mackenzie we got when she was two months. And so when we adopted them through the foster system. Um, they... They were biological children of my sister who had fallen into addiction and had lost, lost them and they were taken into custody. And so clearly as family, we said, yes, we'll take them. And then through a long process of foster care, um, they eventually were put up for adoption. And by that time, there was just no question in our hearts that they were ours and we were gonna take them. And so, um, so we, we, we adopted Judah and Mackenzie. And, Probably the most powerful 
thing that we have ever ex experienced that brings us to the understanding of what adoption truly means is the day in court when we receive them as our children. So we're in court and we're there with our other children and you know the lawyers are there and the judge is there and every, um, you know it, it seems like it's a, it's a formality but honestly in, our, in, in my heart, Vanessa, when God tells her something, she believes nothing else ever. She, I mean, that's her grit. That's one of her giftings. She has a gift of faith. Um, and so me, I, 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 I have a gift of faith, but I also struggle with doubts and, and those kind of things. So even that last day, I'm just like, is this still going to happen? Like, you know, it's just, it was, it was surreal. We're sitting there and the papers get slid in front of us, these adoption papers that we're needing to sign. And before we sign these papers, the judge asks us to raise our hands and he makes us swear before God that these new children of ours will receive full inheritance equal to our natural children. Full inheritance equal to our natural children. And then their old names are taken off of the birth certificate. Their new names, new identities are placed on the birth certificates. Their natural parents' names are removed from the birth certificate and their new parents' names are placed on the birth certificate as if we have always been their natural parents from birth. Yeah. Isn't this what Jesus has done? Yes. Isn't this what God has done for us? He has given us new identities. He, he has taken that old identity of who we are. He's given us new identity. He's taken, he's taken those, those old uh, brandings upon our foreheads and those old identities and said, no, 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 no longer are, are these your parents. No, it's I, Abba Father. And that word Abba Father that, that Paul uses here, it's an intimate word. It means Daddy. And I don't know if you had a strong relationship with your father. Uh, I had a broken relationship with my dad very early on. Later, we, we reconnected and, and, and we, we love each other. But this intimacy of daddy, I don't know if I've ever experienced that with my natural father. But with my heavenly father, I get to experience intimacy. I get to experience daddy. And when you know who your daddy is, there is so much that comes along with that. I mean, I have little girls, and, 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 and I love my girls, right? Chloe and Mackenzie. I love my boys, but girls are just something different for me. And when my girls say daddy, it's like, okay, whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want. You know, my boys are like, hey, pop, um, can I, you know, they're just kind of, they come at me like that, and there's always a question in my heart, like, I don't know. But uh, listen, our, our Heavenly Father not this masculine thing it's not this feminine thing it's a child of God thing our daddy has adopted us we have all received the spirit of adoption and with this spirit of adoption you and I have equal rights and equal inheritance in the kingdom of God to every saint on this planet 
And I don't care if you've been serving God for one day or 20 years. I don't care if you've ever preached a message. I don't care how many Bible verses you know. I don't care if you've ever been convicted of a crime. I don't care what sin you've ever engulfed in on this, in this world. That through Jesus Christ, we have brought, been brought into sonship, into daughtership. We've been brought in to be children of God, right? And so listen, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. It means we get to cry to our daddy because we have complete access to him now. Those papers have been signed. Those adoption certificates have been solidified. We have complete access to the throne room of God, right? And it says, um, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I want you to say that this morning. I'm a child of God. I mean, we, we, you guys have probably sang some of those songs, right? I'm a, we, we are children of God. And listen, and if children, if we're children, then we are heirs also. And we have an inheritance from God. We have an inheritance that comes from God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Can you believe that? That through Jesus, the, the inheritance that Jesus has received from his Father, he has actually shared that inheritance with us. Is there any other God like that? Is there any other savior like that? Is there any other king like that who's willing to share his inheritance with his subjects? There's no one like our God. Heirs with Christ. And if indeed, listen to this, and here we go, church. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You see, I love the idea of the prosperous gospel. Gosh, we get to claim every promise that God's given us. And I believe we do. But I also know that in this inheritance that's been given to us, there is suffering. And the suffering isn't in the relationship with God. That's the privilege. The suffering isn't in our connection with God. And the suffering isn't even what we give up. I'm, I'm telling you, when you think about the suffering that Jesus Christ suffered, the suffering was on behalf of others. And if we've been given access to this, this complete access to God the Father, then, then this great commission that has been given to us as the church to go into all the world and share this message, share this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us, to actually, listen, share this inheritance that we've been given. There's going to be some suffering in that. Because it's not easy. Do you believe that? It's, it's not easy. We struggle with fears. We struggle with, with sharing the good news. We struggle somehow with, with connecting others with God. Listen, there's a verse in the Bible that has really transformed uh, a lot of how I see the church, view the church, view our purpose, view our gatherings, all that kind of stuff. And it's Luke 16, verses, uh, verse 7. It says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy. Can you say more joy? There's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. I'm going to read that again and see if it messes with you like it messes with me. Listen, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy. Say more joy again. There's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
You know, for a long time in my Christian walk, I used to think that all heaven rejoiced when I showed up to church. I mean, man, I made it on time, and I'm like, like, I'm here. Like, this is, you know, you just, oh, 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 like heaven, like heaven opened up, right? And, and, and listen, God is pleased when we don't forsake the gathering of the brethren, when we come together and worship. It's, it's biblical. It's, 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 it's something we must do. We cannot serve God alone. Right? We've never been called to do anything alone on this kingdom, right? When, when Adam was created, it's not good that man should be alone. And so it's not good that we do our relationship with God alone. We have brothers and sisters around us connected to the same Father. And then there's promises that can only be claimed when we're together. When two or more are gathered, God will be in their midst, right? If two or more agree upon anything, like, like there's, there's things you can't, claim. There's things you exclude yourself from when you do this on your own. And so it is awesome that we're alone. I mean, it's not awesome we're alone. It's awesome that we do this together. Excuse me. I'm getting excited here. But listen, but there's more joy. There's more joy in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. Now that messes with me. Because that means that in, in, in heaven, in God's atmosphere, there is more value on the sinner than there is the righteous. And let me tell you why. It's not the value of love. It's not the value of how much you mean to God. The value is the urgency, the urgency in which we, the church, are responding to the needs of the world. The urgency of heaven was so great that Jesus had to come and die for who? For sinners. Romans tells us this, that while we are in our worst state, while we are in the depths of our sin, happy to, to, to keep sinning and die and go to hell, while we are in that place, Jesus died for us. He didn't die for the perfect. He didn't die for the righteous. He didn't die for the religious. He died for the sinner, which each and every one of us was at one point in our life, right? And so if this is the value of heaven, I'm wondering what value we as a church are putting on those who are outside of the grace of God. Because there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who, need no more, who don't need repentance. And I don't know about you, but that should stir up an urgency. That should not only, listen, that shouldn't be just a stirred up an urgency in border city. That should be an urgency in me. I learned, I learned something very quickly leading a church is just because I'm passionate about something doesn't mean everyone's passionate about something. And I know there's times in my church where my church is getting passionate about things and I'm like, whoa, easy now. I don't know if I'm passionate about that yet, right? You see, Border City could be passionate about the lost. It doesn't necessarily mean you're passionate about the lost. You see, Border City could be saying, hey, we exist for the benefit of our non-members. But that doesn't mean you might feel that way. You might feel like, hey, can it just be like us four and no more? I mean, can't we just, I mean, I, mean, I love this. This is intimacy. This is beautiful. It's just us. We love God. And this is, I don't want to mess this up. We've had people in our church like that. I mean, East L.A. is a tribal people. Like Hispanic, Mexicanos, they're, they're so tribal, right? It's just, they just want to be us. And then Asians start coming to our church. 
And then blacks start coming to our church. I don't know how this happened. I mean, I live in a saturated Hispanic neighborhood. There's like, I have two black elders on my team. Deacons who, who are Chinese and Vietnamese. And, and it's, it's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And very easily, our church could start freaking out and be like, what happened? I thought it was just going to be us. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't about us. God, all heaven, all heaven rejoices when one comes to repentance. All heaven doesn't rejoice when we just stick together. Luke chapter 14 um, verse 7, I want to I read this parable through if I can, if that's okay. I'm probably going to read from the, from the paper text just because it looks a little more cool. And I like the way paper smells. Okay, Luke 14, I'll start with verse 7 if that's okay. And then this is the parable of the guests, or some say the parable of the great feast. And this is Jesus. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Now, I love Jesus' interaction with people a lot. And I, I read into it a whole lot. I kind of look at the scenario I put myself at that table and I'm just like tripping out. Jesus is invited to a dinner. This is Jesus now who had already been manifesting supernatural miracles on the earth, had already fed 5,000 people with just a few fish and some loaves of bread. He had already walked. I mean, this is so many things that Jesus had already done. And he's invited to a meal with people, and there's other people who come to the table who actually think that they should be sitting in the places of honor. Isn't that amazing? I just wanted to point that out. So Jesus gives them a little class on etiquette, and I'm not going to give you a class on etiquette because you're from Detroit and I'm from East LA, and we can probably stay here for five hours learning how to speak right and all that kind of stuff, but <laughs> listen. Verse 8 says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is just, uh, this is just setting the stage for the conversation that's about to take place. There's this dinner. Jesus is like, hey, uh, I don't know what's happening here, but uh, you guys are all kind of positioning yourself in places of honor not really recognizing who's amongst you, right? And Jesus, trust me, he lowered himself to the place of a servant. But we're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about Jesus now. And somehow these guys are still jockeying for position. And, and, and isn't that just like religion? We jockey for position. We put, our we put ourselves in places higher than God. 
And this is what religion does. We, we actually put the institution of the church higher than Jesus himself. And that can never be the place, right? Jesus, high and lifted up, exalted above all. And, and then verse 12 um, says this, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him. And now, so not only is he schooling all the invitees, he's going to school now the inviter, right? The person who has invited them all to the meal. And he says, he says this, when you give a luncheon for a dinner, do you invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors? Otherwise, they may also invite you in return that, um, that, that will be, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, listen to this, friends. Invite the poor. Sorry, lost my place. The crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this. He said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so he, he kind of, you know, is that, you know, that kid who raises his hand before everyone else and has all the answers, right? He, was, he was just wanted Jesus to know that he was in the rooms like, yes, blessed are those who are going to be able to eat in the kingdom of God. Not recognizing that the king of glory was at the table with him. And then here's, here's this parable of the dinner. And so he's, now he's correcting this guy's theology. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his, his servant or a slave to, uh, to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another said to him, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. There you go, men, if you ever use your wife as an excuse of why you cannot serve God, be rebuked. Um, so listen, and then 20 says, another said, I have been married to a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And verse 21 says, and so the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then he um, then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once and to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Verse 22 says, and the slave said, master, what you have commanded has been done and still there's more room. And the master said to the slave, then go out into the highways and, and along the hedges and, and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. And then verse 24 says this, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. And that's a, that's a serious piece of uh, scripture. In this scripture, clearly, the master is God. And God um, has prepared a feast. He has prepared this smorgasbord of a kingdom meal. And he has sent out invitations, right? He has sent, in, in his initial invitation that said all come was Jesus. Jesus was that love invitation 
that open the door for all to come and eat at this meal. And, and we know, just theologically, that that initial invitation was to the Jews. And Jesus was sharing with these people that the Jews have rejected me. And those who have rejected me, they're not going to be able to receive the kingdom like those who will respond in acceptance to this invitation. So Jesus, that John 6, 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave an invitation through his son. And that first invitation was what? To come. To come. And this is why I think probably the most basic invitation even into the kingdom is, can I invite you to my church? Can I invite you to the, to the, to the family that I gather with that, that worships Jesus? I mean, it, it, it seems so basic, but I'm telling you, it's supernatural. And the re reason why it's supernatural, because when we gather, Jesus is there. So we're not just saying, hey, come and fill a seat in a building. We're saying, hey, come and experience this family of God that is connected to Jesus. And in that, there is so much more that takes place. And you know that. You guys have probably experienced that same thing. The first Im invitation was come. We know that. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's the first invitation to come. And then we see these invitees, right? The, the excuse givers. Maybe some of you were, that, were those guys, just like I was, right? Why I can't come. I got things to do. I'm distracted. You know, I got uh, distracted by domestic affairs, distracted by relationships, distracted by our money. Isn't that funny how when our money is funny, our relationship with God starts to teeter? Man, Jesus is so much more than that. Then we see the servants, and that's us. We're, we're the servants in this, in, this, in this parable. We're the ones that Jesus is saying, hey, take these invites. Take these invitations. Take them to the highways and the byways, right? We're the believers, the followers of Jesus, the witnesses that God has left here to take this invitation and so we have this amazing invitation that God has given us, and I, and I wonder what we're doing with it. I wonder what fear is gripping us. Is our relationship with God, is the experience that we have with Jesus so shallow that we don't feel the desperation that this world needs him more than ever? See, this isn't just a connection with a, a church service. This isn't just a connection with, you know, hey, I checked my religious duty and went to church on Sunday morning. This is so much more. So much more. After the servants went out, you guys know the, those, those initial, those initial um, invitations were rejected. Have, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever talked to someone about Jesus and you just got the smackdown? Like, eh, nope, sorry. <laughs> Nope. Right? I mean, I've had that. I've had friends. Like, listen, don't talk to me about that. I want to hear it. I know you're a pastor. I mean, Vanessa and I, like, we, we love people so much, and we want people to experience the Jesus that we, we've experienced. But we've had friends tell us, hey, listen, we don't want the pastor or the pastor's wife, or, or can you just be a friend without the Jesus stuff? Right? And we're not even, like, you know, flushing Jesus down their throat. It's just, you know, they're just offended by the fact that we are connected with Jesus. 
And so we, rejection is imminent. It's, it's going to happen. Listen to this, friends. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God in the flesh on earth, was rejected. People saw him raise the dead, walk on water, all the other things that he was doing while he was on this planet, calm the seas, raise from the dead, and people still rejected him. Rejection is eminent. So it is going to take a people with grit. It is going to take a people who have a relationship with God that know that they know that they know of who he is and are not going to settle for anything less until this world comes into a lo loving relationship in with him. So after the servants were rejected, what did, what did God do? He said, okay, don't worry about it. I get it. You're rejected. No stress. We'll just serve the people who have come and be done with it. No, 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 no. There's a feast here. <laughs> There's a feast here. I've prepared a meal, and this meal it, it is going to be enjoyed, and we are going to make sure that this table is full. So he extends the invitation. He extends the invitation. He extends to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And, and I, don't, I don't know like, how you classify those things. We can very easily classify them physical, and I absolutely believe it's the physical, but it's also the spiritual. It's those, it's those unsightly things, those unsightly people, those unsightly demographics of people, those uns, uh, people groups and, 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 and lifestyles that, that just rub us the wrong way that we automatically assume don't deserve Jesus or can't use Jesus or are going to reject Jesus. Those are the people that Jesus says, go invite them. No, Lord, I don't know about them. I don't agree with their lifestyle. Go invite them. Those are the people who deserve to be at this table. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Listen, the demographic is then extended. Not, not just the, the extended invitation, but now the demographic, now the geography. Go into the streets, go into the alleys, go into the country roads, go into the bush, as they would say in South Africa. Get out there in the sticks. That's how we would say it here, right? Honky-tonk land. Get there. Get there. Take this invitation to them. They are desperate for this meal. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What do we receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? Power. The word power in Spanish is poder. Right? It's power, it's strength. It's this, it's this thing that comes, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And why does this power come upon you? Listen to this, church. I believe in all of the other giftings. I believe in all of those things that come with, with the Holy Spirit's gifts. But listen to this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. Power to do what? To be witnesses. Carriers of this invitation, right? Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, in Detroit, throughout Judea, throughout Michigan, in Samaria, in the United States, and in the ends of the earth. And you could take that globally. This is why the Holy Spirit has been unleashed on his church. So that we can be witnesses. That same Holy Spirit is alive in us today.
that same Holy Spirit is unctioning us to speak. You might feel this, and, and I don't know what kind of stores you have here, but you know, we have Walmart, so that should probably be here too. But when I'm in Walmart, the Holy Spirit's always talking to me, and I can't stand it. Because I'm in line for an hour, and there's a lady in front of me with small children who's desperate for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's always, say something. Say something. Say something. Say something. I'm just trying to get through the line, Lord. Say something. That's a very small picture. But now I want you to think about your family. Over those Thanksgiving meals, those Christmas meals, those birthday parties, those baby showers, those, those Sunday barbecues you have. Those, you know, and Jesus says, say something. Say something. Say something. That coworker. That man at the Starbucks that stands outside the Starbucks store every, every morning. We have 7-Elevens. I don't know if there's 7-Eleven here. And so 7-Elevens, there's, there's same people outside the 7-Eleven when you walk in. Like, it's like a gauntlet of guys you got to walk through just to go get your coffee. And those guys are there every morning. Say something. And yet fear grips us. Fear grips us. But this is the invitation, friends. These are the people that God has said, take this invitation to them. And here's why. Listen to this. Why was the master um, going through such great trouble to get his people in that feast? Verse 23. So my house will be full, says the Lord. So that my house will be full, says the Lord. You see, it's not just about us four no more. It's not just about who we are today and who, who is here now. God is desiring that his house be full. First Timothy, verse two, I mean, first Timothy chapter 2 says this, I urge you first of all, say first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is a good, I'm sorry, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone, say everyone, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This is what God wants. And we are those intercessors. We are the people who are standing in the gap, bringing people over into that relationship with God. We are the bridge. And I know that's what God has called this church to be, a bridge. To be a bridge from brokenness into a loving relationship with God. To be a bridge from sin into righteousness in right standing with God. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean we have it all right. It doesn't mean we have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. It means that through Jesus Christ, we are now in right standing with God, being sanctified by him. Ain't that awesome? So how do we handle this invitation? I got three quick points. Number one, honor. If you guys, I know we don't know anything about monarchies, but we can read it through historic, uh, historical writings. But if you were a message bearer of the king, you were in a privileged position. You handled that message with honor, with respect. And you made sure that you did everything to the death to make sure that that message was delivered. And this is how we're to carry this invite, this invitation that Jesus is giving to this great feast. We handle this invitation with honor, right? 
We honor the invitation giver, we honor the invitation, and we honor the absolute privilege it is to carry it. Number two is honesty. Honesty. We have to tell the truth. In today's day and age, like there's this thing, like we have to water things down. And no, Jesus didn't water down anything. There's people who are broken, listen, dying and going to hell, and we have the answer. We have the answer, and we have to tell them the truth. And the truth is not easily palatable. It wasn't palatable for you. It wasn't palatable for me. But we don't water it down. We tell them the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the beautiful gospel. But the truth in there is that some will perish without Jesus. I don't believe the good news is repent or go to hell. The good news is repent and experience eternal life. That's the good news. We have to tell the truth, right? We have to tell the truth in love. In love. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't pretend that we're holier than thou and that these people are greater sinners than we were. We tell it in love and with grace, but we tell it in its entirety. Tell it with its entirety. There's no or else. Imagine if Jesus or else us. How many of us would have been here? Oh. Lastly, and I know this is a, a, a loose uh, alliteration, but wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, we have to do this with our hearts. Francis Chan says this, God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. He measures our life by how we love. We've been given two great commandments. To love God with all of our hearts and to love people in the same way. And if God, the one we should be loving with all of our hearts, has given us this invitation and says, take it to the world, we should love him enough to take it and we should love them enough to deliver it. God has called Border City Church to some amazing things. And they're not just possibilities because when God speaks something, they come to fruition. God doesn't lie. And when God speaks prophetically and the words that have been spoken over this couple and the words that have been spoken over this team and the words that have been spoken over this church, you can just brand that. You guys can start getting tattoos with it because it's, it's, it's going to happen without fear. You're not going to have to get them removed. These things are going to happen. But it's done in faith. And I think the time period is based on our obedience level. Is Border City Church, you could say this, am I willing to take this invitation today? Not tomorrow, today. I shared this with the leadership meeting, and I'll close with this. I'm invited Vanessa. She has a word to share with you guys. Um, you know when Jesus gave the Great Commission before he sent it into heaven? He reveals himself to his disciples. And some, it says this in Matthew 28, some of his disciples fall at their knees and worship him because he has revealed himself to them incarnate, right? resurrected from the dead. I don't know what your response would be, but yeah, I'd probably quiver and, and fall to my knees. But it says some fell in worship 
And listen to this. And some doubted. Some doubted. And I don't know if you've ever wrestled with doubt. I've wrestled with extreme doubt. But here's the thing that blows my mind. It says, and some doubted. And then the next line says this. And Jesus said to them, the worshipers and the doubters, go into all the world and make disciples. With your doubts and all, I am commissioning you to take this gospel, this message, this love message, this relationship-bearing message that's going to connect them back with God. Take it and make disciples. See, the kingdom of God is not going to be held back by our doubts. You know what will be held back by our doubts? Me. You. The kingdom of God. Scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Our doubts are not going to stop the Lord's church. Our doubts are not going to stop the kingdom of God. Let's take this commission. Let's take these invitations and go wild with those. Amen? Because Vanessa, my wife, does.